just wanted to add one uh, item to the prayer page. Uh, can also be in prayer for the uh, Lancaster family on the passing of grandmother there and uh, kind of following along with that family. So please pray for them as well this week. We are walking through the story and uh, <clears throat> we've come to a little book entitled Ruth. And uh, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there. There's also some in the seats there. And we're going to take some time and walk through this little story this morning. I'm going to read, as we begin here, the first five verses. Now, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the two names of his, his, son, his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were, Ephra, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judea, or Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons, and they married Moabite women, one named Orpha, and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left with her two son, without her two sons and her husband. Now, for some of you here, this story, you know this story. <clears throat> for some of you, this is a new story, and some of you will, pro will probably never heard this story before, or maybe just heard the name somewhere, and so I hope this will be helpful to you. For those of you that know the story, uh, I don't know what you think about when you think about the story of Ruth, but often we think of this love story, this romantic love story. And in fact, you've probably even heard these words at a wedding. This is from chapter 116. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. A, a very touching moment in the story, and maybe some lines that you've heard before. But I want us to stop because it's easy to skim over these first five verses and not stop and realize here what life was really like for these people. Because when you think of Ruth, you may think of a fairy tale, but I'm going to suggest to you that this for much of, of this story, this was a nightmare. This was a nightmare. In fact, this is the worst case scenario you could imagine. Let's not miss that part here. So I'd like to walk through this lower story. And we'll take a look and see how, God is, how this fits into God's upper story. And then we'll end up with a little bit about our story. So you're a woman. Your name is Naomi, which means sweetness. And you live in a little town. Uh, you live in a little town, not very big, uh, uh, a small town. Uh, we went through the other day. What, what's that town right before, uh, right before Owen? Some of you who know your uh, geography. What's the name of that little town? What is it? It's one right before. Owen, and then there's, uh, what is it? 
Curtis. Curtis. Okay? We went through Curtis yesterday for the first time. It says on the sign, population 212. Okay? I went through, I said, just imagine if Jesus had been born today, he would have been born in a town just like that. Bethlehem was about 200 people. Very small little town. And so Ruth is, or uh, Naomi is there, and, and she falls in love, and she, she meets this guy named Elimelech. And they get married, and, and they make their home there. And you know, it's like in small town. Everybody knows everybody. It's very personal. Uh, you know, and you are known by everyone. They get married, and, and they have two sons, which is a great blessing, because in those days, having sons meant you could pass on the family name. It also meant that for, you know, the, the wife would be, would be taken care of if something happened to her husband. And so they had this nice little family in Bethlehem. And all of a sudden, everything changed. And famine hit. Now, it tells us, the first thing it says is, in chapter 1, is that in those days, the judges ruled. Remember, from last week, Israel's up and down, disobedient. And there's a famine in the land. So guess what's going on with Israel? God's curse is again upon the people for their disobedience and for them going after other gods. And so the situation comes. They don't have any food. It is desperate because they, you know it's desperate because they get up and they move to, of all places, they move to Moab. Moab was a godless nation. The Moabites did not like the Israelites. The Israelites did not like the Moabites. In fact, the Moabites would raid the Israelites and, and destroy their crops and, and kill their people, and so there was this contention. It was so bad, they left their home, they left probably everything they had if they hadn't sold it, and, and they have to enter into Moab. But at least they had each other. And she would later say, when we left Bethlehem, my life was full. She wasn't expecting a lot, just her husband and her two sons. And so they go to Moab, hopefully just being there for a short time until things turned around back in the land of Israel and in Bethlehem. Such was not to be the case. They lived about, it was probably about a 40, 50 mile journey to where the Moabites lived. The Moabites were very sinful people. You know how they started? They started with Lot and Lot's daughter. Or Yeah, Lot. And so Lot's uh, or Lot's son, excuse me, his name was Moab. So Moab had a father named Lot, and we see his uh, sister was his mother. In other words, the whole thing, the whole Moabite nation started out of an incestuous relationship, and the word Moab itself just conjured up the sense of, of sinfulness. They were very sinful people. They worshipped the god of Chemosh, who called for child sacrifices of all things. And so this was the land now that they, they move into. They've left their community, their home, their friends, very unfamiliar, probably hostile place. And so imagine, ladies, you're there, and all of a sudden it happens. We don't know what it was, if it was, if it was a killing or if it was a plague or what it was, but Elimelech, Naomi's husband, is dead. So here you are, you're, you're standing, and, and her boys were not yet at the age where they even 
ready to get married. And so here you are, you're standing over the grave of your husband in a strange land, your, your provider, your protector, the man that you have loved, and he's gone. And you're starting to ask questions about God, and, and you're starting to not sleep at night because you wonder what the future's going to hold. Well, they continue there. They, they were not ready to go back yet. Evidently, things hadn't changed. And so over the course of the next few years, we see that the boys meet some girls, and they get married. They're Moabite women. We don't know how Naomi felt about this. They were foreigners, but perhaps, you know, she consoled herself that at least they were married. At least now uh, they could have children and carry on the family name, but that was not to be the case. For within another very short time, we find that not one, but both of her sons died. Both of her sons are gone. And now she stands over the grave of her husband and both of her sons, and now in her arms are her two daughter-in-laws who were, were not married long enough to even have a child. She's lost her home. She's lost her husband. She's lost all her children. She's lost her hope of grandchildren. And let me tell you, this is no fairy tale, tale story. This is one this is one big nightmare. Don't breeze over these first five verses. They're, this was devastating. He's not the same person. She's not the same person. And we see this beautiful gesture in the story by Ruth, who's one of the daughter-in-laws. There are two daughter-in-laws. And Naomi is saying, you guys need to stay here. I'm going back, but you need to stay here. They say, no, she said, no, you need to stay here. You know what people do when they're in, in real grief? They isolate themselves. And so she's, she's kind of pushing them away, and Ruth is persistent. And Ruth says, Naomi, I'm not going. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And, and Naomi gives in, and, and Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem together. So now remember, it's a small town. You know what small towns are like? Naomi and this Moabite daughter-in-law come back into town, and, and everyone's talking. And, and Naomi's changed. And I, I, think, I think her whole temperament, I think her whole countenance had dramatically changed over those 10 years. And they come back, and they said, Naomi, is that really you? And you know what she says? She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means sweetness. She says, call me Mara, because I have become one bitter woman. She was bitter. She said, the hand of God is against me. She said, the Lord has made me bitter. The Lord has made me a bitter person. I left this town full, and I have come back empty. I've lost my husband. I've lost both my sons. I've lost my future, I've, loved, I've lost my hope, and I don't know why, but God is against me. It, it was not a pretty picture. And she had become a, a very bitter person. Then we find on the scene 
comes a shift in the story. But this was, this was the context of, of not only Naomi's life, but remember, Ruth had been married, and, and at a very, they just got married, and, and she loses her husband. And so here we come into this small town, and there's a man by the name of Boaz. He's a very successful farmer. He owns a field. Not very many people own fields. He had hired hands who worked in the field. And it was Levitical law that when you, you couldn't harvest and if you dropped anything, you know, if it spilled out of the bag or you were walking along and a couple sheaves of grain fell, you couldn't go back and pick it up. You had to leave it because... The Lord had made provision that the poor, those that were in, in hard straits, widows and so forth, could come and glean on these fields and, and perhaps find enough to eat. And so we see that Ruth, this Moabite daughter-in-law of Naomi, is, is out gleaning in the field of Boaz, and Boaz spots her. And he takes notice of her. She catches his eye. And my wife and I had this, had this discussion yesterday, and she thought that he thought that she, he admired what she had done, and I, I agree with that, but I think he liked her, just mine. <laughs> and I started counting all the things he did. So you be the judge. I wrote them down. The first thing is, when he gets there, he says, who, who is that gal? Who's that gal out there? Now, there were other gals in the field. There were other women in the field. But he said, who, who is that one? Then he said to the women, he said, what? the other women that were there, he said, watch after, watch after her. And he, he told her, he said, you know, you don't need to go to any other fields. You stay in mine. Okay? You just stay here. And then he went to the young men who were his workers. And he pulled them aside and he said, you guys lay a hand on her. You're going to answer to me, Okay. And he semi-threatened them. Then it's time to eat, and he invites, not the other women, but he invites her to come and eat at the table with, with all of the workers, the hired workers, not the gleaners now, but all the workers. And not only that, but it says he gave her more than she needed. She, she, she asked for a carryout afterwards. She took food back. I think... I think, he, uh, I think he liked her. Then he went, he went to the, the guys who were in the field, and he said, look, if you, if you see this gal going into the sheaves which you have piled up, which the gleaners couldn't touch, if you see her going in there and taking them, don't rebuke her. Just let her do that. And by the way, try and spill a little extra, okay? Try and, try and spill a little bit of extra for her. So... And then in the very end, we see that he, uh, he, he compliments her highly on her actions. So I think he liked her. And I think she noticed that he liked her. And her and Naomi, start, Ruth and Naomi, I'm sure, had conversations, probably a lot of conversations. Right, gals? A lot of conversations at night about this guy. And so Ruth, or Naomi comes and says, okay, Ruth, this is what you need to do. Boaz is going to be up on the threshing floor. He's going to work all day, and he's going to fall asleep, and he's going to lay down. Here's what you do. Clean yourself up. Put on your best clothes. Put on some, some nice 
perfume, okay? I know we're trying to limit that here, but you put on some perfume. This is, a, this is an important occasion. And you go and you, he'll be asleep, lie down, just lift up the covers and lay down right at his feet. And when he wakes up, then, then answer him. You do whatever he says. And so she, she goes and she lays down. And he, of course, uh, wakes up and notices and says, who is that? And she says, it's, it's Ruth, the Moabitess. And, and then she, she says this to him. She says, spread your garment over me for you are a kinsman redeemer. You know, that, that may not sound very romantic, but that's a very significant statement. Cover me with your garment, and for you are my kinsman redeemer. In, the, in that culture, there was, there was a law, and this was a law, and this was meant to take care of people. But if, if someone lost their husband, a woman became a widow, then if there was another kin, someone that was related in the relation, if there was someone there, they had not only the opportunity, but the responsibility to step in and to, to enter into relationship with that person and to provide for them and even to bear children so they, they would have descendants. And so we know that Boaz was in, in the relation. There's only one problem. He was not the closest one and the closest one had had first opportunity at this. And so, as the story tells us, the, the next day he went down to the village gate right away, <clears throat> and there he met this other closer relative. And he, he says to him, look, uh, there's an opportunity here to redeem uh, Naomi's field. You can, you can purchase that from her, and that will, that will provide for her. And, and he said, okay, I, I think I'm interested in doing that. And Boaz said, but there's one other thing. This, this deal also includes Ruth, the Moabitess, and she goes in on the deal as well. He says, well, that, that might threaten my, my own personal inheritance, or evidently he didn't think he might, maybe he thought he might have to provide for her, whatever it meant. He said, you know what, I guess I'm not interested. And so what he does in front of the elders is he, he slips off his shoe, and he takes his shoe and this is what they would do. And he, he hands the shoe to Boaz. And this was a sign for all of the elders there that he was passing on his right to be the kinsman redeemer to Boaz. And Boaz took the shoe. And the rest is history. They were married. And Boaz and Ruth entered into this relationship together. Well, at this point this short little book comes to an end. It comes to an end with a Moabite widow who comes from a very, very pagan background, very pagan culture, marrying a Canaanite man by the name of Boaz, who's, we're not exactly sure if it was his mother or grandmother or great-grandmother, but one of those, anyway, you know who it was? It was Rahab, the prostitute. And so we have this person coming out of Moabite background and Boaz coming out of Canaanite background, those very pagan cultures coming together in this, in this amazing story. And we find that 
Naomi now has not only her daughter-in-law, but in, in a sense, a, a new son-in-law. And we know that there were children that began to live and, and be in Naomi and Ruth's home because the story ends with the birth of Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David. Thus ends the book of Ruth. So that's the lower story. A, a story of incredible hardship and yet a story of, of redemption in, in the midst of that hardship. So, so let's shift to the upper story. This book was read every year at the barley harvest and so we see that there was a real purpose in reading the book of Ruth. And so what Ruth is going to do is we have Israel and the constant, constant falling away and we have this period of judges and now we have the book of Ruth and we see that out of the life of Ruth and Boaz is going to come who? The first king of Israel and ultimately the redeemer of the world. And so this is a shift in the story. This is going to link now the period of the judges with the period of the kings. And we see that this line would come through these very, very unlikely people. A couple points that we see here in the upper story. Number one, deliverance is coming not just to Israel. These were not, these were not your, your Jewish people. These were, interestingly enough, these were pagan people. These were people that came from very pagan backgrounds. And so what's so ironic here is that we have Israel running after pagan gods and we have people that grew up with pagan gods that are turning to the one true living God. God's people are running away and foreigners are coming to him. And you know what? God's going to honor that. God is going to, and we see here one of the clues that is going to continue to a thread through the story is that is God is going to not only save Israel, but he's going to save all the nations of the world, all who will come to him. And, and this is a beautiful picture of that. The second truth here that we see in this big story, and, and it affects our story as well, and this is very important. When it appears that all is lost, there is a redeemer. When it appears that all is lost, there is a redeemer who can redeem life's worst, life's worst situations. And some of you here know that full well because your life was a disaster and, and you met the redeemer. I tell you, I can, I can assure you, I can assure you that even Naomi, who had such a hard life, when she went to her grave, she had no idea, just two generations down the road, what God was doing. That God was going to bring out of this seeming mess the greatest king that Israel would ever know, David. And out of David and out of his line, the Messiah of the world. She, she had no idea. You know what? You have no idea what God might be doing in some of the details of your life. And it might come through your children. It might come through your grandchildren. It might come through your great-grandchildren. 
but God is at work. By the way, if you're wondering what Ruth's name means, Ruth's name means mercy. Mercy. Well, what about our story? What about your story this morning? Well, I want to tell you this morning, this is, I just have one simple point. How does this affect your story and mine? You have a redeemer. You have a redeemer. And not only can he, but he will redeem your life. I don't care how many heartaches, how, many, how much brokenness, how much failure in your life. I don't, know, I don't care what the past, I don't care how much bitterness that you might have. You have a redeemer in your life. Now, if you're here and you've never been redeemed, then there's a beautiful picture in this story of what that looks like. And what God calls you to do is to come and to kneel and to lie down in an act of submission at his feet. To lie down at his feet and to acknowledge to him that he, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, is your kinsman redeemer. He's your kinsman because through the incarnation he became one of us. And he is your redeemer because he went to that cross and he was raised from the dead and he has the ability to redeem your life. He has the ability to forgive your sin and to take the broken pieces of any person's life and begin to mold and shape them to, into something that we never imagined he could do. That's the message. He, he will redeem your life. And if you have been redeemed... If you're here and you have been redeemed, it's to remember that God is redeeming your life, that he can take whatever broken pieces there are. It, it may not be the story that you wanted. The story that you're living right now, it, it may not be the one you planned on, or it probably is not the one you're planning. You may be playing a role that you didn't ask for. Uh, Gerald Fitzer was a, a man who wrote a book he was out, and he was, he was hit by a drunk driver. And he lost his mother and his wife and his daughter. Three generations in a split second. And, and out of this tragedy in his life, he, he wrote a book. And this is what he writes, and this is, this is very powerful. The experience of loss does not have to be the defining moment in your story. The experience of loss does not have to be the defining moment in your story. The defining moment can be how you respond to that loss. That can be the defining moment of your story. We don't get to decide the roles that we play in the story, but we do get to decide how we will play the roles that God assigns to us. And remember, God's not writing your story. He's writing his story. And humility in life is about surrendering your story and saying, God, you write your story through my life. I'll, I'll, I'll play whatever role you want me to play. There's a powerful lesson in that. I want to conclude this morning with a, a, a real-life testimony of just a powerful story. I don't know how many of you have seen that on I am second, Annie, Annie Lampard, Lobard, I think it is, is a, a woman who 
remind me of some of the characters in this story. And I don't have time for the whole clip. I'm just going to show you the last few minutes. But she's a woman that grew up with a raging father. And very early on, she, she developed a lie. And that lie was, I am unlovable. Very tragic life. Uh, <clears throat> got kind of boy crazy, met her high school sweetheart, promised her the world. They'd live together, have babies together, and have a family if she'd sleep with them. Of course, she did. And the next day, found out he was in the same situation with several of her girlfriends. Became a very angry person. And uh, her goal became to make money and to make money, as much money, and to have things. And her girlfriend called her from Hawaii and said, you know what, Annie? I'm sitting here in a Corvette with three guys around me with Rolex watches. And she said, you ought to come out here. She went there, started making money by selling herself. She was making as much for a night as $10,000 a night. And then one day, one of these men came and put a gun to her head and broke her nose and broke her ribs, said, you're going to pay me now. And for five years, she became enslaved to a pimp in Hawaii. One night, she, five years later, she, she ran away. And when you run away, you leave everything. Everything you've made, everything you've worked for, everything you've had. And she did. She came down with cancer. She, she was destitute. Uh, she checked herself into a, a motel. And uh, it's at that point that we pick up her story and uh, listen to her story of redemption as we conclude this morning. Let's pray together. Father, you are a redeeming God. You are the great redeemer. Lord, you're the one that for all of us and for, Lord, many here perhaps in a special way, uh, through this <clears throat> woman's story, we're reminded of your goodness to us. You're reminded of uh, paths that you have taken and you have transformed. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who has yet to meet you as their Redeemer. Father, might they just kneel before you, acknowledge that you are the Redeemer and uh, be redeemed today to be purchased that their life uh, enter into a new season of transformation and change. And Father, for us as your people, we are just here uh, through this story to worship you today and uh, to proclaim this wonderful news, the good news, Father, that you are our Redeemer and we have been redeemed through your grace and through your mercy that you have like for this couple that lived many years ago you've entered into our lives and given us hope where there was darkness given us peace where there was unrest so Father we uh, we're just grateful for this story today we praise you we pray this in Jesus name Amen I invite you to stand, and we're going to sing our benediction today. I think many of us know this song. Seat up on the wall, and with this, we will be dismissed this morning.
There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Sing it to God today. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Amen.